Hello and welcome to the Jazz Jam Podcast. I'm your host, Dwayne Gunnels, joined by my co-host, Max Levy. And on today's episode, we're going to be getting into something a little bit different. It's a live recording done by Kenny Garrett. And the album is entitled Sketches of MD Live at the Iridium, which is a club in New York City. And kind of just a little bit of an interesting story about how Max and I came upon this album and decided to review it. Max was in town in Wilmington, North Carolina for Christmas. We got to play some gigs together. But I called Max and I was like, hey, it was Christmas Eve. I was like, what are you doing? What are you up to? Let's go like do some like record hunting at the at the record store. And he was like, cool. And so we go to Yellow Dog Discs in town, um, which usually doesn't have the best of jazz collections in town. But, you know, we're always down to, to go hunting for something. So we walk in there and they have this big table set up that's not normally set up with records. And it says all records, $10. And it's all of these new records. I think some of it was like record day, record store day stuff that had been put out, but was now on sale for $10. And so we kind of thumbed through all of that to see if there was anything jazz or anything that might be kind of hip on there. And we found this record for $10. And we're like, dude, Kenny Garrett and Pharaoh Sanders, we have to get this. So Max and I picked this record up for ten dollars and we decided shoot well let's just let's do this one next on the the podcast so that's how we got into to doing this record it was a really great find i it was surprising and um i did not know that this album really existed and it's great to see a live album from kenny garrett and really we just talked about him when we went over five piece band live uh chick korea's group and that live album so we're kind of doing two Kenny Garretts in a row almost. Um, not last week, but the week, you know, the previous episode. Um, so we just can't get enough Kenny Garrett, it seems. I don't know. Yeah, I definitely, <laughs> I certainly can't. I mean, yeah, and we'll get into uh, the kind of why on the album. But Max, let's kind of uh, just let fill everyone in. We're sorry we didn't get around. We said we were going to do a Christmas episode we didn't get around. We were super busy. We were playing pretty much every day that Max was in town. If we weren't playing, it was literally Christmas Eve or Christmas. So we didn't have time to record the podcast. There was just a lot going on with Max in town. But uh, Max, why don't you give everyone kind of the the brief synopsis of you know your your visit here to Wilmington? Well, it was a good trip, and um, you know I we drove out there. It's about a seventeen hour, seventeen to eighteen hour drive from kansas city missouri to wilmington north carolina and the biggest part of that drive is going through north carolina (laughs) (laughs) that takes up almost six hours of the of that 17 to 18 hours and then you got to go through missouri you know it would be much easier just going from st louis to Asheville, but which would be you know the same state to state range but you're going from one end of missouri to the other and then you got to go once you hit the mountains you got to go right to the very end of the state for north carolina to hit wilmington which is right by the ocean so uh, you know long travel day but we did it we drove uh in one day both ways and fortunately on the way back my wife caitlin actually drove part of the way which was a first i think um, wow so yeah i was kind of surprised but very appreciative and she drove from Nashville to Paducah, Kentucky, which is one of the least scenic routes you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Parts of Kentucky are really pretty. That's true. 
it, it, yeah, it is pretty out there, but not not too much in between those two towns. Um, so travel ended up being pretty smooth, and and you and I got to play, um, I think five gigs together, and which was really cool. Most of them duo. We did have one with a, a great drummer who's now in the Raleigh Durham, North Carolina area, named John Hill, and so that was that was a pleasant um, experience to play with him for for a house party we played for. And uh, we did, you know, some different uh, breweries in town. And it was a, a great, just great time to, to play together. And it had been probably six six months or so since you and I had played together. Yeah. And we managed to, like, add in, like, four new tunes. Well, we had to play a couple Christmas tunes because it was Christmas time. So, but we at, managed to, like, play some new tunes that we had never played before. So that was cool, too, considering we don't play together like all the time so it's always fun to to add some new stuff into the mix we did opera Vov, which was fun yeah it's a great tune and we had you know one guitar player sit in with us so you know very very cool vibe on each of those gigs and i actually got the pleasure to play at both the temple and the presbyterian church <laughs> <laughs> so i i played for a hanukkah service um at the reform temple uh for for the the Jewish service uh, Friday night, and then the night after Saturday, Christmas Eve, I played for the Presbyterians. <laughs> so very eclectic um, experience and ecumenical, and and just it was it was a it was a good good time. Eight or nine days I was there, and and it seemed to fly by. Yeah, he just missed the the mosque. Um, he's he's covering most of his bases. Next time he'll play at the the mosque as as well. Maybe Ramadan. Maybe if you're back for Ramadan, you can. That's the, right. The mosque. I'll have to hit that one up next time. Yeah, they all, I mean, jazz, you know, it's universal, so. Right. Cool. Well, let's uh, let's get into the album a little bit, Max. Why don't you start us out with just kind of the basic history, where this was recorded, when it was recorded, um, and then we'll talk about the personnel. Yeah, as I said, it's a live album from Kenny Garrett. It's one of the few that we have that are live albums from Kenny Garrett. This was a, uh, released in September of 2008. It's called Sketches of MD, live at the Iridium. And the Iridium is a live music venue specializing in blues, jazz, and rock music. And it's more or less been around since 1994. It was in a different location for a couple of years and then moved to where it is now. And this is a club where the great guitar player Les Paul played weekly starting in 1996. I think he played there every Monday until um, the year, uh, until basically the day he passed away. So he was doing every Monday at the Iridium Club. And so that's where this was recorded. And this is Kenny Garrett's debut appearance on Mac Avenue Records. So Mac Avenue is the record label for this one, which is originally based out of Detroit, Michigan. And it was founded in 1999. We've spoken about it, I think, at least once before. And it's really cool to see specifically Kenny Garrett on Mac Avenue since Kenny Garrett himself is originally from Detroit, Michigan. So it's that... Detroit connection we're getting from both the record label and the artist here. And all of these songs are Kenny Garrett originals. So another great aspect of this record. Yeah. Is James Carter, is he on Mac Avenue records? I know he's from Detroit as well. I'm not sure if he's on Mac. He may be um, on somebody else's record. That's Mac Avenue. Okay. Um, I don't know if he specifically has a contract with Mac Avenue or not, but I do know that there's quite a bit of Christian McBride on mm. Mac Avenue records. And, and they, 
they have a lot of great artists on there. Cool. Well, let's get so. into the the personnel a little bit on on this recording, Max. Yeah, Kenny Garrett is actually playing not only the alto saxophone, but also some organ, the synth- synthesizer, and bass clarinet. And like I said, he's originally from Detroit. We've talked about him not too long ago on the podcast. He played with greats like Duke Ellington. He was a part of Miles Davis's fusion group. And since about 1985, Kenny Garrett has had a steady solo career touring the world as a, as a solo artist on the alto sax. And, and he's just a powerhouse player. And he is definitely one of the top alto players of his generation. And then, as you alluded to, we also get a second saxophone player on the record. You know, the only thing I like more than one saxophone is two saxophones. <laughs> so we got Pharaoh Sanders, the very spiritual, the very prominent player, Pharaoh Sanders, who we've also mentioned once before on the podcast. And he unfortunately passed away pretty recently in September of 2022. And he had a big role in the development of spiritual or free jazz, as we call it. And we went over him in episode six of the Jazz Jam. On bass, we have Nat Reeves, who originally comes to us from Lynchburg, Virginia, born in 1955. He now teaches at the Hart School of University of Hartford. He performs internationally with a long list of artists, and he's known for his impeccable time and his big sound. He's worked with not only Kenny Garrett, but Jackie McLean, Joe Farnsworth, Eric Alexander, Harold Mayburn, and many more. So you'll see Nat Reeves' name quite a bit um, when you're looking at this music. And then we also get uh, a great pianist and drummer. Dwayne, you want to tell us about them? Yeah, one thing I want to touch on before we talk about the pianist is um, Pharaoh Sanders, Max said episode six. That episode is In the Key of the Universe by Joey DeFrancesco. So if you're looking for more Pharaoh Sanders, that's the name of of that, um, that record. But yeah, so on piano and keyboards... And some synthesizer, just all around keyboards, we get Benito Gonzalez. He was born in Venezuela. He's based out of New York City. He's known for combining Afro-Latin musical elements with jazz. And he made his way to the U.S. in around 2003 and began working with Jackie McLean. And then started working with Kenny Garrett. And then was Pharaoh Sanders' musical director in 2019. So kind of all those guys seem to be have worked with each other. You know, Kenny Garrett first, Pharaoh Sanders, and Jackie McLean. And um, he's also worked with Azar Lawrence and other greats, including Bobby Hutcherson, Gary Bartz, Curtis Fuller, Lenny White, and um, some other players as well. And then on drums, we get Jameer Williams, and um, he's a thriving drummer, composer, and producer in the New York scene. He's from Houston, Texas, and went to the well-known Houston High School for the Performing and Visual Arts. And then he went on to get a degree at the New School and toured and worked with cats such as Solange Knowles, John Mayer, Pat Metheny, Jason Moran, and uh, Dr. Lonnie Smith, the organist as well, um, as as well as like many other players as well. So all kind of New York City-based guys, it seems like guys who have worked in the the New York scene um, a good amount. Yeah, and, and they play really well together as you know we'll we'll display on the the podcast as we get into it and it's you know all in all it's generally speaking just a really fun album um stick around with us towards the end of of each episode we give our overall rating and our overall thoughts so you'll you'll want to stick in and listen and and listen for that but we're going to start out going over the first track on the record this is called the ring 
This is, like I said, a Kenny Garrett original tune, as all of them are on this record. It's sort of an AABB form with each section getting four bars to its section. So you can think about it as, um, you know, four bars of A that's repeated. Then you get a four bars of a B section that's repeated. Or you could think about it as two chunks, whereas you got an A that's eight bars and a B that's eight bars. But to me, it makes the most sense to think about it in chunks of four. So four bars of an A theme melody repeated, then four bars of a B theme melody that's repeated. And all in all, we're getting very sort of an ode to the John Coltrane Quartet with the John Coltrane McCoy Tyner sort of sound. It reminds me a lot of a Love Supreme and some of those things that we get from, you know, 61 to 65, John Coltrane. And this one, the ring, has a really nice melody that's shared by both the saxophone players. There's also a hint of Middle Eastern or African sounds here. And it's sort of, like I said, a modal vamp that's in a Coltrane-esque fashion. Garrett maintains nice use of, of space and phrasing when he's soloing. A lot of longer notes and that sort of hard spiritual vibrato that we can hear. And he's great at messing with short melodic ideas or creating themes to build off of. I want us to listen to that together. This is Kenny Garrett playing right around the 249 mark. Yeah, so that just showcases that great thematic development I was talking about, which also reminds me of Train. Yeah, and I think that one thing that like Kenny Garrett and Ferris Sanders are so good at, and we'll kind of talk about this throughout the the album, is just doing a lot with a little, like a few notes, more space, and just like making it feel good. And that there, like there's not a whole lot of notes. There's not like really long runs or lines being played. It's just about like, what can you do with like just a, you know, how much can you do with a little bit? And that's kind of what we're getting from, from there. And how can you build those kind of shorter ideas? You can say a lot by saying very little and you can say nothing by saying a lot. Yeah. And so what he's doing, even though it's not a whole lot, it's meaningful, it's impactful. It's, it's, uh, musically interesting it's thematic development you're right sometimes if we play too many notes we're not saying much if we play um a, a smaller number of notes maybe we're saying a lot uh and that just depends on the player and how well they themselves can pull that off and sometimes you know it's great to play a lot of notes sometimes it's great to not play a lot of notes it just depends on context and contextually speaking what uh kenny garrett is doing right there is spot on you can say a lot by playing a little. Yeah. So great moment there. He continues, and I think he uses a lot of the lower range on the horn as he goes into his solo more, which is a little unexpected. Usually you would start lower and build higher, but he kind of starts, you know, off in the middle of his range, if not higher. And then as he gets on, he goes lower on the horn. And he uses extended techniques, uses of, of overtones, squeals, extreme techniques that, that we like to call. Um, 
call it. And we can we've heard that on on some other Kenny Garrett that we've heard through the Five Piece Band live album, where he can just manipulate his tone in such a way that's so controlling yet so spiritual and musically meaningful that it's not stifling. It's actually opening up even more what he's doing. So I want us to listen to that together. This is about a minute of that, 428 to about 530. Yeah, so it's a lot for maybe the average listener, but I think there's a lot there in terms of if you just think about as a player or from a player's perspective, excuse me, it's really hard to control it, those squeals and those extended overtones and techniques the way he's doing. It's very hard to control it in such a way that you can hear where he's tapering off, you know, where he's doing the false fingerings and, um, just, just kind of physically, acoustically, naturally um, moving the sound in such a way that brings it to a whole nother level. It's really challenging to do, and it's really challenging to do as well as he does in the moment on stage in the middle of a solo like that. Yeah, and Max, can you like explain some of what he's doing there as a saxophone player? Because he's kind of like really getting some some interesting tones and timbres going on there is like how do you do those things is it all embouchure is it how much of it is the way you're fingering notes like what you know what is he doing there some of it is you know what we talk about with false fingerings where you're playing a note and then you're you're covering up um and using more fingers than you would naturally need to to make the note happen. And so that changes the sound of the note, but not necessarily the note itself. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what he's doing when it's it's loud and he's tapering off and coming off of something and that the, the little uh, interruption that's happening where the, the sound of the note changes, but the note itself doesn't really change. That's what he's doing there. I think a lot of it has to do with throat and throat manipulation and mm. and. I think some of what he's doing is very specific to each player and in how they're going about that. Um, with overtones, it's kind of like you're, you know, let's say, for instance, you're playing a low B flat on the instrument, but you can get out a middle B flat or sometimes a fifth. So the middle F or higher F or higher B flat, but yet your fingers are fingering the low B flat. And so what that's going to do is that that's going to create a specific type of sound that, you know, a middle register note is going to come out, but it's going to be distorted. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be in a way that seems like 
he's probably to you doing more than he actually is, but it's, it's, it's just so successfully done that that's what he's doing. And so some of that is overtones. Some of it, I think is throat or embouchure manipulation where you're getting those squeals. You know, there's certain fingerings for that. You know, we get the altissimo register fingerings for notes that are higher than the high F or F sharp for the saxophone. And so for tenor sax versus alto sax, there are different, altissimo fingerings depending on which which of those two you're playing and also there's multiple types of fingerings in the altissimo register for the same note so a lot of those higher note fingerings are going to be specific to what the player feels most comfortable with or what the player thinks maybe is most in tune or they are getting the desired sound that they want and maybe there's you know some distortion that they're doing with either their, their their throat or their air or their embouchure onto one of those higher altissimo notes. Hmm. I think that's that's super interesting. When he does kind of the wah thing, and we heard this on like five piece band where he's doing the like kind of he's playing a note, he's holding a note out, and he's like, you're getting like this wah, 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 wah. Is that coming from him changing the fingering and fingering like a different note and like changing the the pitch? Or is that coming from him like manipulating like tonguing like on a certain note how is he do you know how he's doing that my suspicion is that the the specific wah moment is the fingers but his tone is is i think coming from throat manipulation and overblowing and maybe he's also circular breathing there too i'm not entirely sure that could be part of it too um where it's kind of the sound is kind of going in and out at different times. I, I don't think that wasn't my first instinct that he was circular breathing, but that could be part of it too, is is how is he um, just physically breathing into the instrument? Is it circular? Is it not? Um, is he, I think part of it is just the natural ability to em, employ dynamics mm. into your own sound. So I think he's just really great at dynamic manipulation from how much air he's using. And then the tone is manipulated by his throat and or embouchure. And then the fingers is is the very moment when those wah changes or waves. It's kind of like waves that yeah. are happening. It's yeah. So that's it's, what I would say. Yeah, it's just he's so interesting to listen to because if you like tell someone to describe like playing a saxophone, they're gonna tell you you blow into the saxophone and you move your fingers, right? But when we listen to Kenny Garrett, we we start to realize that there can be so much more to playing a saxophone than just blowing into the instrument and moving your fingers. Right. And we're realizing that he's playing the saxophone with his entire body, you know, and we've kind of talked about how he kind of, it feels like the saxophone is kind of an extension of his body. And he's definitely using lots of different parts that we might not think of using his throat, using his fingers and using them kind of all together and his amateur all collectively to create some really unique, tones and different techniques on the, the saxophone absolutely and you know what you mentioned it would i don't know if you recorded it or not but we were talking about the album and you were saying how great it would be to be there in person for this live performance and i would have really enjoyed that just to see just to be able to tell if i could see what he was doing in those moments yeah. then i would have a you know very clear way to describe it for you but I think it's a combination of those things, the way we do overtones, the way we squeal, the way we manipulate with our throat 
and what specific altissimo fingering fingerings we're doing, or maybe he's just like just gunning and and just throwing a lot of air out. And also, you can kind of almost sing those higher notes as you're playing them, and that will also help bring out the specific tone or note that you're wanting to come out as a saxophone player. So you're kind of like singing the high, that really high, you know, C or whatever it is as you're fingering it and as you're playing it and blowing air through the instrument. Mm. Yeah. That could all, yeah, that could also be what's going on. Yeah. I know that trumpet players can do that too. And like, they'll growl like that too, by using like their throat and humming and playing at the same time. It's just cool. I mean, it's obvious that he's doing lots of these things and mixing them into his playing. So while it may not be super intricate lines that we can break down, there's so much that's going on in his playing, even though it might seem like there's not that many notes specifically, different notes being played. So I think it's uh, it's awesome to kind of get into that the same way we'd get into someone who's just like Charlie Parker playing bebop lines, you know? Absolutely. And like I said, if I were there... <laughs> I would uh, have more specifics on that, but I may actually try and find him some more clips of him playing on YouTube and, and, you know, give a better answer later on a different episode or something. But it's a combination of those things, I'm pretty sure. And he's just great at being able to put all that together and manipulate it in such a way that's so musically interesting and moving. Um, we just had to talk about it. And after that solo, you know, we get... Um, the head repeated from both the saxes and then we get into a pharaoh sanders uh saxophone solo and pharaoh gives us a really great sound nice use of space you can tell as we were kind of getting out with kenny garrett's solo that it's not about bop phrases or how many notes can you play or you know what ideas based on the language can you throw out at us it's about going where the music takes you and developing themes and ideas and having a nice ebb and flow to your overall solo and to what you're doing. That's the key here. And for instance, you know, we were talking about saying so much with so little. What can you do with two notes or a two-note idea? And, you know, if you ask yourself that, Pharaoh Sanders gives you an answer to that. And I want us to listen to that together. This is 824 to 854 where he messes around with two notes and develops his solo organically. Yeah. So there you can also tell there are those moments where he's also doing some overtones and some different throw manipulation there on his sound, too. So we get that both from Ferris Sanders and Kenny Garrett. But there's just a, a lesson in there somewhere with that two note development. I don't know. What, what Did you like that? What were you thinking with that, Dwayne? Yeah, I just love just the rhythmic, you know, kind of syncopated ideas and just kind of letting the groove and the rhythm speak to, you know, and that's like this song has a really good, in this album, there's a lot of that to where it's like, it's like, how does it feel to you? You know, how's, and that's kind of what they're playing. They're playing what they're feeling. So I really enjoy just kind of that in the moment, play what you're feeling. And 
it doesn't always have to be, you don't have to always be thinking like, how can I play the most crazy, intricate thing here? Like just play what you're feeling. And if that, you know, and Farrah Sanders and Kenny Garrett, arguably two of the best at doing that and playing in just a kind of emotional, spiritual way. Um, so it's just really, in my opinion, it's really easy to connect with, with passages like those when you can just kind of feel like it's, it's coming from their soul. Yeah, and that's a great thing about this track in particular, and we're starting out with this, which is, I really dig that as as curation of the album. I think this is a great opener to to what these players have to offer. It's also great to hear what Jemire Williams on the uh, drums is doing behind all the soloists. It reminds me a lot of Elvin Jones, great mm-hmm. bashing, great energy. It's spot on with what's going on. Um, there's some nice long trills during the piano solo as well that are cool to listen for. Great use of repetition. Overall, he's quite rhythmic. And the head out is after that key solo. That's great simple melody, but it's very spiritual. And all in all, it ends this first track very nicely. Yeah, and this first track, I mean, just you kind of mentioned it, but just really odes to John Coltrane and his um, quartet with McCoy Tyner and Elvin Jones. Like, that's it just really really reminiscent of that and I think these guys do a great job of playing in kind of that modal vamping kind of uh landscape and it's it's really nice and Benito Gonzalez with his solo kind of you can feel the McCoy Tyner influence in this song and a lot of what he plays and like Max said the Elvin Jones and and Jameer Williams is playing so yeah it just feels like a big ode to to Coltrane and, and Tyner here from in my perspective Absolutely. And then we get a killer track called Intro to Africa. I think the groove on this is exceptional. I think the vibe really connected with me personally. This is definitely, um, as a second track on the album, was a bit of a surprise. And in, in, I, don't, I don't know, in its delivery to me. Um, Dwayne, what were you thinking with this? You were tasked to go over this one i think there's a lot here that's really great yeah yeah there's this track definitely has a lot going on and we really get a display of of both saxophone players here um it starts out with just the rhythm section playing through the changes you can also hear some humming of the melody presumably by garrett and sanders at points um the changes it's pretty simple the structure of the song it's just four bars that are repeated throughout it's in a minor key i think it's an e flat minor and the last two bars are just a minor two five one back to e flat minor it's it's just it's nothing super super intricate but it it has a really nice groove it's at a kind of relaxed soulful groove tempo 74 beats a minute and what i'm feeling here and with the song title and with kind of the elements is this African spiritual music and maybe like, you know, African, the some of the slave music, um, spiritual music at the time with the humming of the melody, the way that the song feels, the tempo of the song. That's what I'm getting um, from here. And I think that's kind of what they're trying to evoke is that ode to, to Africa and African influenced music. It also seems like it's almost a ballad. I mean, it's not, but it, you know, there isn't really a ballad on the album, but this is almost one because of its tempo and the way uh, the players are soloing on top of it, which we'll get into in a sec. But I, I just really dig the pocket on this one. 
it seems so full like you were talking about spiritual and i think there's some blues in this mm -hmm. um you know there's a big blues influence on this one uh at certain moments and so that really came out to me too yeah and so after they go through the form a few, a few times with kind of like the rhythm section and the the humming of the melody like i said sanders comes in with the melody which is just half notes that moves with the changes it's nothing super crazy it, it really does feel like a, that you know african spiritual music um in the melody as well and then we get kind of kenny garrett start to add some licks into the space in the melody and there's just so much soul in kenny garrett's playing We've talked about this before on the podcast, but it really just feels like the saxophone is an extension of himself. We've mentioned it just in the previous track. We're going to continue to talk about it. I think here at 210 to 305, it's just, it's a really good example of that. It's not crazy intricate lines. It's just music straight from his soul and from his heart. And you, you can really feel that. So let's, let's take a listen um, for this, this section from, from Kenny Garrett here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh. That hits so hard in the groove, in the pocket. And and it's it's blues, it's spiritual, it's um it's soulful. And he's doing some more throat manipulation, sounds more like just growls or um, you know, kind of just just a, a little bit more uh tension in his sound, but it's real and it's authentic and it's uh experienced and it's straight from I don't know, life's qualms, it sounds like. You know, it's like yeah. a re it just feels so um I don't know, uh full connected. Connected with yeah, it, it's it's music it's beyond musical. Yep. Is what I'm trying to get at. It's it's it showcases the human experience. Yeah. And I think it's it's on in my opinion, that section, it's almost like another level of musicianship and because Kenny Garrett can play any line any run any tempo he could play a burn as fast as you want Kenny Garrett can do that but what he's playing here it's just in my opinion it's a, it's kind of a different level of musicianship and connection to his own emotions and the emotions in the music and it, that yeah it's just it's so killing I could listen to that just all day every day you could inject that into my veins um please <laughs> I'll have a fifth vaccine of that, please. Yes, yeah. We don't need COVID <laughs> vaccines. We need. I need that injected right into my vein. Just kidding. We vaccines are fine, but that's. I'd take that. <laughs> I'll take that too. While we're at it. <laughs> yeah, 
Do you um, have the Kenny Garrett flu vaccine? Yeah, yeah. I just need all three. Give me the COVID, give me the, the flu, and give me the Kenny G. It was straight into my veins while we're at it. <laughs> Oh, but no, really. And yeah, just we some of those extended techniques that we talked about, we hear it there. Just almost some of the overblowing, the growling, some of the overtones he's he's getting to there. It's all there, but it's like not it doesn't feel forced. It's just it it's so good. It's so effortless. It's 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 Kenny Garrett. It's our Kenny G for sure. But then we right. get <laughs> we get a a bit of an interlude between the the sax solos where Benito kind of comes in and adds some colors and trills, not really a solo. More of just uh, an interlude. And then we get Pharaoh coming in at 409. And it's just more of this very spiritual, soulful playing here. Are there two more spiritual saxophone players on the planet, Max? I don't know if there are. Uh, well, uh, there have been in jazz history, but they are probably all dead. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, train, you know, yeah, there are moments yeah. of train that come to mind. Um Maybe Albert Eiler sometimes, although I prefer Pharaoh Sanders to him. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, but and then, you know, very spiritual, just straight ahead blues players, too, yeah. that are out there. Um, so, yeah, but they're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> but and yeah. unfortunately, so was uh, so is Pharaoh Sanders now. But we still have Kenny Garrett to, to listen to. Yeah. But it, these guys, as far as just that spirituality to to the music, they're some of the best to to ever do it and they kind of span throughout different generations and it's just it's awesome so yeah back to the this pharaoh solo his vibrato is just in my opinion it's so heavenly we get some really gritty kind of growling playing here so let's just listen to some of that kind of gritty technique here and the vibrato here from 442 to 506 from pharaoh sanders here Yeah. Yeah, great sound. And, you know, some people may be surprised that we're so enamored with longer notes. You know, it, again, they're not just going ham on how many 16th notes can they play. It's a different approach. It's a different value, but it's just as valuable. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, that's what I got to say to that. And Max, what is, um, I think you, I asked you, um, I want you to say it here on the podcast. What is that thing that when we're getting like that kind of really kind of overblown in your face sound what is he doing there because it's not it's not quite a growl there what is what is that technique that he's doing there well on a couple of those notes it was the lower b flat and stuff it's kind of like an overtone where you're you're fingering that low note but what's coming out is the is the same note or a fifth away from that note in the middle register and so you kind of overblow and and you kind of tighten up Oh God! Excuse me. <laughs> Hello, burp. You kind of over uh, overblow, and then you you sort of um, pinch a little bit your bottom lip into your mouthpiece more. So usually, when we're talking about jazz embouchure on the saxophone, you generally want your bottom uh, jaw and lip to be flexible and to be kind of looser—not too loose, but kind of flexible. And you want it to be able to move when you're in the different ranges on the saxophone. Uh, 
but if you're doing those overtones you kind of just tighten up a little bit on that jaw you don't want to be tight but you firm it up you firm up the bottom lip and jaw a little bit so that you can make sure that you're getting those higher tones when fingering a lower note yeah when i heard that section i was just like whoa what is like i have to ask max what's going on here because you can tell he's like manipulating the timbre and the the tone of the instrument in a way that's super cool it almost sounded like like a violinist like injected into what he was playing that's like how kind of like punchy the the sound is there and it's it's just really cool and you kind of just get to hear his his full range of of his playing there and he also has a very specific uh vibrato Mm -hmm. and you know it's it's wide and deliberate and in your face and he's also known just for kind of overblowing which is just putting more air through the instrument than you need and so that kind of gives that bigger um spiritual presence that we're also getting from pharaoh sanders yeah, and so we can hear kind of uh, Kenny Garrett on the organ. We mentioned that he's on the organ some in this uh, track. We can hear it in the background. It's nothing super crazy. He's not playing anything um, super intricate, but it's just all about the the texture here from from Kenny Garrett. Um, so, and let's listen to what we mean by uh, Pharaoh Sanders playing being spiritual and just how much Pharaoh can do with a few notes. We're kind of just hammering home these points, but it's just there's so many great examples of it. And I want you to listen for how he's able to build the end section of this solo so well. And it kind of reaches this breaking point and then this scream at the the very end of the his solo. So let's let's listen for that here. Um this is at three or sorry, five thirty-four. <laughs> Just two notes. Jesus. Mm. He just he just screams it out at the end. And I love how he ends his solo. There's another one later in the album where he ends kind of in a similar way. You just scream it out and He's, that's it. It know. just like builds up the tension just builds and builds. And as he kind of, it starts a little rhythmic and he's getting into those kind of few notes, but then he starts to build it and he starts to get more gritty and more punchy. And then at the end, it's just this full out release of all of his tension with that scream. It just, Oh man, it feels so connected. It feels so soulful, so spiritual. It's, it's just, yeah, that's, Oh man. That's Pharaoh Sanders for you. And again, some people may listen to that. I mean, if you can feel it, you can feel it. You know what we're talking about. Yeah. But but I can sense some people listen to that and go, well, he's not giving me much, technically speaking, or he's not giving me much um, that makes a lot of sense. But you got to go within the pockets. You got to think about it from the perspective of the groove, the feel, the sense of blues, the soul. Um, the other ways, uh, we can, um, you know, base off our solo on that these two are just masters at doing. Yeah. And it's all about the context of the music too. Like this song, if they were playing, 
like uh, a bebop tune, like a rhythm changes, and they were doing this like on a 200 beats per minute rhythm changes, that wouldn't make any sense, right? It's all about context. But in this context, the way that this song, the feeling, the emotions of this song, what it, this song is portraying with the kind of ode to African spiritual music, it this is exactly what you'd want, you know, and they're in the context of the music, it's it's it is super musical and it's more musical than than that in my opinion than if you were just to play a bunch of line technical moving lines or whatever um i think this is more fitting in that context absolutely it's all about context and and what is the song trying to portray how can you play what you uh you know how can you solo in a way that that is not only musically appropriate but can bring everything out even more and not it's not just you being featured over top of everything you're in conjunction with what's going on and if you can hear especially the drums um and even keys you know they're all going with pharaoh they're they're in there they're all on the same page it's it's really a sort of level of connectivity that you don't hear from everybody yeah it's not just him soloing it's the group him the group soloing and he's just the one that's you know, featured during that section. They're all playing it together. Um, but then we get some some organ kind of featured stuff. And it's not really like a solo solo per se. It's just kind of Kenny Garrett on the organs messing around with the, the texture, the timbre, um, the different vibrato you can get out of the organ. He does do some licks, but it's not, it doesn't feel like a solo, like a, a fully developed solo. It feels more just like um, Lots of rhythmic and stuff going on, uh, which is cool. It's nice. Um, it definitely adds a layer to the tune. And then we kind of drop down in dynamics uh, after this organ feature into the sax melody once through the changes and then just a really nice retardando to end, which I think is just a perfect way to to end this one out, in my opinion. Yeah, it's a great ending. I, I think I would have liked some back and forth between the two saxophones. Yeah. I mean... You know, you don't want to overdo it. It can be cliche or overdone, but I think some interplay towards the end of this, some soulful, you know, back and forth blues licks or whatever, um, back and forth screaming would have been really the icing on the cake for me. But I understand, you know, you don't have to go there, but that would have been a, a cool thing for me. That's what came into my head, the way to end that one. Yeah, I think that definitely um, could have been a, a cool way to do it as well. For yeah. Sure. Then we get the title track on the album, Sketches of M.D. Dwayne Gunnels, do you know who M.D. is? Uh, well, I think it's Miles Davis. Do you know who M.D. is? I thought it was Maggie Disseldorf, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm just messing. Oh, we, man. Max we told me that in the pre-show. I was like, Max, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's just a joke. you got to have some fun. Uh. Um but yes, it's all about Miles Davis. And like I said, you know, Kenny Garrett was a part of Miles Davis's band. Um, so this is sort of an, an ode to Miles. Um, and we get, I kind of like the title of it because it's sketches of Miles Davis. It's not Miles verbatim, but there's elements of Miles Davis's fusion approach in particular. And you can kind of hear some of the sounds that the saxes are making kind of sound like a muted trumpet when they come in with the melody. So that's a, a really cool um, thing about this track. It's just all the sonic elements of it. It begins with a rhythmic ostinato shared by both the piano and the bass. It's sort of a two-bar ostinato with longer note melody from the saxes. 
And the melody, like I said, sounds like almost a muted trumpet at times. And it's reflecting that influence of Miles on these cats, specifically Kenny Garrett. The melody is spot on if you're going for the Miles thing, in my opinion. And it sounds like there's some effects that are used, maybe some delay at the ends of phrases. And lots of synthesizers and different sounds we're getting. Then there's these electronic sort of sound sweeps right around the 220 mark, 212 to... 230 or so and it reminds me of lightsabers and i just thought this is like a scene from star wars that we're getting yeah do we want to listen to that so people kind of understand because it that is spot on it literally sounds like a scene out of star wars yeah let's do it yeah like 212 to 230 or so um you probably don't have to do that whole chunk but some of that yeah yeah let's just get an idea because that that description is spot on Yeah, it just I I don't know I thought, if they're I thought yeah, I thought Luke Skywalker was gonna come around the corner and come at me. It <laughs> <laughs> definitely feels like kind of what they're going for too, like kind of this like spacey synthy feel to it. Do you think that they're playing their saxophones through like a pedal or through a like a computer with like a synth or do you think they're playing Ewe's? What do you think this is? I I was trying to understand this and Ewe definitely could sound like this, but I don't know if these guys played Ewe's or not. I honestly, I am not um, an expert in that sort of thing. So I don't know. I, my suspicion is that they're playing into a pedal. Yeah. That's what it feels like. And they can manipulate it that way. Um, and I, I, you know, we talked about maybe Kenny Garrett had done some of that um, when we were talking about Five Piece Band Live and and his sounds on there. But I, I I guess in in some of these live performances he did pull out pedals and effects and stuff, um, or still does to this day, I'm sure. So yeah, I think we're getting we're getting some of that here. Yeah, we're definitely the saxophone sound is being manipulated one way or another for sure. This is not this is not something you can do just with your embouchure here. Yeah. So a lot of different sounds here we're getting on sketches of MD. And then we get these sort of sweeping string noises. It sounds like he's sweeping across the the inside of the piano at times. That's around the four minute mark, 416 or so. So a lot of different sounds we're getting. And they're taking their time on this one in terms of development. It's all about emphasizing the different sonic um approaches that you can get and and this to me is just they're musically enamored with sound which does describe some of the miles davis fusion stuff so they're really pulling that off around the 530 mark starts a real saxophone solo there's great use of repetition there's some really nice moments where the alto solo um just kind of shines and there's some added interplay from the tenor saxophone uh, from Pharaoh Sanders, and he's he's messing around with overtones, and there's some cool sounds there. Let's listen to that together. This is 611 to about 640.
Yeah, you can really kind of get a feel for like that the spacey feel for it there. Yeah, it's very spacey, and I love that sort of background interplay that we're getting from not only Pharaoh Sanders but also from the keys too. A lot of great interaction there. That's that's subtle, but it's done really well. Soon after all that, it completely sort of bottoms out and the ostinato stops. And it's just melodic movement with lots of space. There's some insertion from the keys, bass and drums as Kenny Garrett starts to get on the mic and introduce the band. And another cool aspect of this is hearing how Kenny Garrett introduces the band. A lot of energy. I love how he'll repeat the players' names multiple times. Um, So this is an example of that, just so you're aware, just so you can get a glimpse into the live performance aspect to this record. This is 8.15 to about 8.40. Dr. Reed to the bass. Professor Reed to the bass. And the drums to my Williams. To my Williams to the drums. And the tennis saxophone, the great Farrell Sanders. Farrell Sanders. The great Farrell Sanders. Come on, New York. Right. So we're, you know, he's going the great Pharaoh Sanders, the great Pharaoh Sanders. There's a great saxophone player from Wilmington named Benny Hill who also does that. Um, So that's just something I particularly enjoy listening to is how does a player, especially a leader of a group, introduce the band? How do they interact with the audience? I think sometimes in jazz we can get away from um, from that aspect of the experience of performing the audience does matter we have to interact with them we have to be able to get on the mic and and introduce the band and talk about songs and 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 just be open and a little vulnerable with the audience and and don't ignore them i mean in in some ways you can if 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 something's going wrong but you really want to just have a, a nice interaction you don't have to overdo it but i think kenny garrett does a great job of doing that here yeah i think his energy is is just really great um yeah and the energy in the room feels feels really cool here overall i think this track is really cool to listen for it's sonic uh just variety they end it with the melody and it sounds like kind of a drone sounding bass but he's just playing with with the bow extended sounds um lengthening notes on the bass Overall, I do think it's missing something. It leaves me a bit unsatisfied, which is disappointing coming from the fact that it's a title track. The album itself is called Sketches of MD, Live at the Iridium. And unfortunately for me, Sketches of MD, the song, kind of misses uh, some moments to me, and it it's just not coming across as well as the first two tracks on the album. Yeah, I do. I think this track has some really like interesting aspects and the sonic exploration with all the synth sounds is super cool. But I agree. I just don't know if it makes sense as like the title track. It does feel like something that could be in like the soundtrack to a movie, though. I I, I think that it's just like the sonic kind of the things we're hearing. It's just it is pretty unique. So I, I agree there. Yeah. And then we get back into a, a great groove with the next track called Wayne's Thing, which I think refers to the great Wayne Shorter. Yeah. So the next track, Wayne's Thing, I, yeah, I agree. I think it's definitely talking about Wayne Shorter. And this is just a really fun groove on this track with some syncopation from, from the keyboard. And I really love the breaks during the, like, the final couple bars of the form. I think they're just like super funky. And I love kind of 
Benito Gonzalez and uh, Kenny Garrett just vibing here through certain parts of like the beginning of the song. And I just think it's super funky. Let's take a listen for that at around the two minute mark in in this track. Those breaks really do make it. Those are killer. Dude, yeah, it's so killer. And I just love the kind of the rhythmic interplay there and just kind of, yeah, Benito taking the, the breaks there. And that last one, that's that's he gets super funky with it there. I, I love that. Mm-hmm. And then um, Kenny kind of hops on a Clav-esque synth. And I, I think he's playing this synth like a keyboard not like a saxophone synth sound i'm pretty sure but i can't be 100 percent sure i wasn't sure either it sounded like like a synth synthesizer but towards the end of the solo it sounds more like a sort of pedal sound or something on on a saxophone sound where it sounded more like his saxophone sound at certain moments but i don't know if that's just the sound of the synthesizer and there are moments that it's just I, I'm wanting to hear the saxophone. I don't understand. I don't know specifically what type of instrument that is. Yeah, it sounds like a, a clav, like a clavinet, but like a synthy clavinet, not like your straightforward Stevie Wonder kind of clav. Um, so right. It's yeah. to me, it sounds like he's playing like a synth, like a keyboard, but it's hard to know exactly without seeing it ourselves. You know, you could get that that sound out of an iwi as well if you want to, because technically that's just a, a synthesizer that's, you know, a, shaped like a saxophone. The keys are like a saxophone. You blow into it to get the sound, um, but it it is just a synthesizer in a sense um, as well. So, um, yeah, at the end of the the section with. Kenny on the the synth here, they do a break and everyone drops out and the audience thinks that the song is over, so they start clapping and then the brand brings it right back in. I think this is just so funky. I love this and I think this is something that that we tend to do sometimes and it's really well done, especially on like funk tunes or like groove tunes where you know you can the groove they stop, but the groove kind of never leaves the room. And when they come back in, it's just like filling this void that was there. So I think it's a, uh, it's really cool. We're going to take a listen for it. I'm ready. It's yeah, it's a hip moment. And you and I have done that before. So really cool technique. We do. We definitely do something similar on like a tune red Baron by Billy Cobham that we play. Cool. Let's, let's take a listen for it. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just a break. It's they're not ending it, guys. Oh yeah. But it sounds they think it is. 
God, yeah, it's just so grooving. Like, especially that pickup, like, uh, really grooves too. Yeah, that's just a that's a hip moment in my opinion. And then um, when we come back in, Kenny continues to solo on the synth. Um, you heard that that just there. And then we get some kind of more spacey like pad synth sounds from Benito and it really changes the texture of, of the groove a little bit um from like he was doing kind of rhythmic electric piano stuff and now he's doing more like a pad synth um on, on the groove and kind of changes the the texture that we're getting there and so during the next break we get like clapping like on the beat during the break and I can't tell if that's the band or the audience that's doing that clapping I don't know if someone in the band is like leading the audience to clap or not and then we get uh, Kenny Garrett hops back on the organ as Pharaoh takes over to solo. They dive pretty deep into the funk, and Pharaoh does his typical thing, just super funky, soulful, some screams, all the all the Pharaoh things. And then after the Pharaoh solo, it's, it's just the rhythm section with Garrett at the organ still, and they're just kind of grooving it out. Um, and then at the end, they do a, a nice fade-out, Max. What do you think about uh, the fade-out? I know Max loves a good fade-out. Well, it's no surprise I am not big on this fade out. <laughs> and I was hoping there would not be a fade out on this because it's a live album. So but I guess they just grew for so long they said, Okay, we'll just we'll just fade it out. Um Yeah. And I think maybe I mean this is I'm thinking a little more practical here. Maybe this track went they went on for another three minutes and to fit it on the record, I've you know we kind of made this point before. To fit it on the record, they're like, well, we can't throw that that extra five minutes on that vinyl. It won't physically fit on on a vinyl LP. So that could have that could have been what happened here. Is like, oh man, you know there was an ending, but we got to cut something out. We'll just fade out the the end of this tune where they're kind of grooving it out for a couple more minutes. Yeah, which is one way to do it, but uh, I don't know. It's like sometimes I think they're spot on, and sometimes. I I wanted a different type of ending or I wanted to hear what they were doing in the moment on how they ended it. So I don't know. Sometimes I, I, I dig a good fade out, but this one was one I was not too appreciative of. So I'm par for the course here. Yeah, I think it, it, I agree. I think there there could have been really cool ways to end this tune, but it just kind of lacks that that substantial ending. You know, you could do something really funky to end this tune, but we don't really get that. We just kind of get a a fade out here right now i do want us to go back and just listen to one lick that is being played this is minute marker number four basically just do four to 404 or so it's just a must lick in this type of tune or in this context <laughs> yeah that's it that's it i was like i heard that that is the must lick on that one that's just funky that's just all funk right there yeah oh man i love that you know that if you do that you're golden yeah (laughs) oh man all right yeah so that's definitely just that's all about the the funk on that one um and i really dig that groove max why don't you get us get us going into the the final track on the album entitled happy people yeah, so here Kenny Garrett is ending um, not only the album, but I imagine his set uh, on the gig with his tune, Happy People, which is a commonly known Garrett composition. I think around this time he was known for ending his gigs with this tune. I kind of prefer the original version on his 2002 album of the same name, 
But this one is really cool for a lot of different reasons. There's a lot of great energy, and we'll get into another reason why it's a cool version of Happy People. But as it starts, Garrett introduces it on the mic, and then the drums enter first before the keys and bass. So I really dig that layering. That's a little, um, you know, unexpected where you're starting with the drums and and then that brings in keys and bass. You don't always have to start with keys and bass or or a you know or an eight bar intro altogether. You can start with drums and go from there. So I like I like that layering there. Um, and then when Kenny Garrett comes in, he comes in with that A theme melody. I thought he would riff a little bit and then come in with the head, but he comes in just right with the head when he enters in on the alto sax. He does play off of the melody at times, but he's sticking mainly with the main theme. It's sort of an AAB form with eight bars in each section. And so they go through that two times through. Um, and that main hook that we've grown accustomed to with this with the melody of the song is at 120. And so that's kind of the B theme melody that they continue to play off of later on in the song. Yeah, and that section just really gives me like some James Carter organ trio vibes for some reason, just like the melody, the rhythm there. I'm getting like some like James Carter kind of, kind of vibes there. Definitely. in the instrumentation that we're getting here, the original version isn't quite like that. I don't mm. think it's organ. It's, it's a little more straight ahead. There's vocals also on the original, um, or at least on that particular 2002 album I'm thinking of. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's morphed into something like this at this time, you know, 2002 to 2008, that's a good six years. And it may be older than that. I just know it's on an album called Happy People from 2002. So he's probably tinkered with the song and, and it's just a great closer of a set. So th they're doing it here and it's a great groove. It's, it's a little more in the moment fun, I think, which is what you're alluding to with the James Carter organ trio mm -hmm. connection there, yeah. you know? They're all about that. So we're getting that here. Um, the saxophone seems to start to solo a little bit around the 230 mark, but then it pivots focus to the keys, and the keys have like a snippet of a solo. And then we get the synthesizer in. Sorry, that's hard for me to say. The synth is back in, and that's Kenny Garrett coming back into solo on the synth, not on the alto sax. So I want us to listen to that together it's sort of a an interesting transition a little awkward but but it kind of makes sense this is 248 to 333 Yeah, it's so great. <laughs> so great. But I, I, I want to, you know, it's kind of like back and forth between yeah. the two, the two sounds. And it's, it's kind of like, there's not really one soloist in that moment. And I thought that was just a really cool snippet to listen to. Yeah, it's cool. It almost feels like 
Benito's like taking a solo a little bit and Kenny Garrett starts to it's like they start to pass the baton but instead of like passing the baton like we talked about in solos they're just kind of like tossing it back and forth to each other and no one's really taking it and running with it they're just kind of like bouncing it like hacky sacking it back and forth to each other that's what it feels like to me yeah it's a baton toss yeah. not a baton pass it's yeah. like I guess more like a peace pipe like, yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, let me have another hit. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so that's a cool moment. And then after that synthesizer type solo, we get back to the hook. And then we get the other cool aspect of this version that I was getting at earlier. And that is the false endings. This song has at least <laughs> three of them. I don't know. There might be four or five false endings altogether. But I want us to check out the first one. This is. Uh, 440 to 522. I love the quarter notes that, that are played to get back into it. Check it out for yourself, and then we'll talk about it. Right, so there. You thought it was over, but no, there's more. They but really wait, sell it too. They sell. They like full, fully commit to selling that it's the end of the song. Yeah, it was. It's really false ending. Like you, you really are in there because they they hold out that chord, and then out of nowhere they do those quarter notes back into it. Um, so I think that's a great moment, and believe me, it happens again and again. So. After that first one, he kind of gets on the mic, getting the crowd into it, and he, he starts to get the crowd to sing that, that B-melody hook line that that uh, depicts the, the melody, the main chunk hook uh, of it all that's really recognizable. As they get to play it again, which leads to a second false ending that they get out of with the same quarter notes onto that B-melody hook again. Then he gets on the mic again and introduces the band once more, repeating their names multiple times, as I was talking about with another track. And then they do a third false ending. And this one really seemed like the end to me because Kenny Garrett goes off more like you would as a saxophone or horn player would on a final chord. And and just really, you know, being being soulful. And it, it seems like they're really going to end it, but they don't. Yet. So this is 815 to 845, another false ending. I just, I literally laughed out loud when that one happened because I thought for sure they were done. 
Yeah. I thought for sure that was the last one. I think everyone else did too. I yeah, I was gonna ask like how you feel about this because I read some reviews where people, I think Downbeat magazine, they were kind of critical of this. But for me, I love it, especially because it's like a live recording. If you do this in a studio, it's honestly just kind of annoying because no one's there to cheer like it's the end. But in a live recording, it's just like there's this party going on, right? And they're just like, yeah, party's over. And then it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then they're just like, nah, party's still going. Like, we're still here. We're still grooving. So to me, I, I enjoy it. I think I think it's fun. I think it speaks a lot to the um, musical proclivities one needs to have on a live stage versus a studio album. I think, you know, these are elements that really scream performer. Yep. And sometimes straight ahead listeners or critics mm. are are hesitant to praise that. And I think maybe if they had just done one false ending, the critics would have liked it a little bit better. But because they do it three or four times, um, I guess it, to them it gets old. It seems overdone. It seems overplayed. It's not getting the sort of um, appeal or effect you think it is. But I, I, I don't know. I think in the moment if I was there, I, I really would have enjoyed it. I think it's a great aspect to this version and I really do appreciate these false endings. And I know some people won't, but I think it it's, it speaks to the uh, musical presence that one may need to have on a gig like this, where you're interacting with the audience. You know, the audience is in tune to what you're doing. Um, and contextually, to me, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I totally agree. I think in the context of what's going on, it, it makes a whole lot of sense. Um it could be seen as overdone, but to me, I don't feel like I'm bothered by it as much as obviously the people, you know, whoever wrote the downbeat review was to me, this track really kind of reminds me of like some of the Corey Henry and like the funk apostle stuff that they do seeing them. I've seen them live a few times. And it just really feels like that kind of feel good, uplifting music that kind of just gets the party going, gets the people into it. And just with the false endings, like we're just, you know, keeps people happy energized lifts the party up that's that's just what i'm what i'm getting from it it's humorful there's a lot of character in it it screams personality and there's another snippet i want us to listen to from this track right after that uh third false ending this is 948 to 1010 where kenny garrett kind of plays more with the audience and he kind of does it in a sort of hip-hop fashion where it's he's he's interplaying with the audience singing and it's, it's a really cool moment. Uh, let's listen to it. Yeah, and one thing that kind of speaks to this is why I want to point this out before we listen to it is at a certain point he has the audience start to sing the melody. And he's just, there's this really fun interaction. He's getting the audience involved. And it's just like, this is obviously not a studio recording. This is a live recording. And he's just, there's so much personality here, like Max said. So listen as well for him and his interaction with the audience as well as the audience participating in in the song by singing the melody. One. Come on, one. Oh no, I stopped it. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. I mean, 
that's yeah he just kind of keeps doing that um as it builds and builds and then they play the hook again which actually leads to a final ending (laughs) so they eventually do end it but i i think those moments are are important because they really show the personality of kenny garrett of the music um and it's really fun i think one thing you and i really agree on or or see eye to eye on is is the element of fun that in most recordings is is necessary to some degree in order to really enjoy it um and here we get a lot of fun and i think there's some jazz out there where that is lacking and to me that can be off-putting for an audience for a listener and even at times for a player yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And that's why I think one thing that this is really redeeming about this album is like, I can agree that there are sometimes albums that are super well put together, they're arranged super well, the playing is fantastic, but like, it's just, it might not be as fun. And like, it's not as fun to listen to as something like this. And when I listen to this, like, this is just something I want to put on in my car and like, listen to it. I'm This is fun. It's like fun to listen to. And I think that there's a lot to be said for that. And I really do appreciate Kenny Garrett's spirit, his personality. He just seems so fun to be around, so fun to interact with. And not all jazz musicians are ne- have necessarily been that way throughout history. So it is really, it's almost relieving to have a spirit a soul like kenny garrett um and his music here it's just it's yeah it's fun it's this album is fun to listen to and i wasn't aware of his ability to interact with the audience in that way prior to listening to this record uh it really just opened up my perception of kenny garrett the performer kenny garrett the musician kenny garrett the the person the human being we get a lot of that here whereas in other you know, moments that I've heard Kenny Garrett, I didn't get as much as uh, as much of that as I'm getting here on this record. So that's another cool aspect of this particular album, Live at the Iridium, is we're getting not only Kenny Garrett playing great, but we're getting more of his self, more, yeah. you know, more vision into who he is as a as a performer and as a person. Yeah, and I think that it's super important to to kind of understand where musicians are coming from come kind of understand their story so i definitely i love what what max is saying there um is there anything you want to talk about with that track before we move into our our top threes and our not so hot just real quick i do have one critique which is i do wish there was an actual saxophone feature or solo or maybe some interaction between sax and keys specifically just back and forth maybe longer than what they did or whatever um i think one article was saying that this track is a little underwhelming for straight ahead fans and i would necessarily i would not necessarily go as far as to say it's underwhelming i just wish there was more actual improvisation within the context of this track yeah i can completely agree there i think they they really are honing in on just the being in the moment, the groove, the feel, but I kind of wish that it is the final track. We could have gotten, you know, just a little bit of a solo from everyone to kind of close it out and kind of hear from everyone, get a drum solo, get a keyboard solo. Give me, give me a little bit of everyone to close it out, but they don't, I mean, they kind of choose to just go in a different direction and I don't think that it's disappointing or I don't think it's bad. I just, it's, you know, I, I could have gone for something else, but I don't think that it makes the track worse necessarily just because, you know, I think it could have gone in a different direction. Right. Yeah. Spot on. All right. Are we ready for the top threes and the not so hot? 
Yeah, and for this one, Max and I, I think this is like one where top three, not so hot. I think there's like, you could maybe flip one or two, but it's, in my opinion, it's pretty obvious. So, Max, we have the exact same top three and not so hot. So, Max, you just go ahead and tell them both of ours and we can kind of talk about it. <laughs> well, both you and I put number one, intro to Africa. I think the pocket is undeniably undeniably appealing i think the um the solos are stellar the feel the groove the human elements that's present in a lot of the um the sounds that we're getting and the approaches that we're getting on intro to africa is not only it was a pleasant surprise but it was beyond appealing it was attractive it was um uh identifiable with the human experience and i think it grew so hard it to me was the obvious number one intro to africa yeah i i love that tune i think that they're just connecting with the music so deeply it's like oh man it's killer it's one of it's honestly one of the most interesting tracks to listen to that we've listened to on the podcast we've listened to some really great tracks but this is just it's a fantastic track and they're playing within the context of the music is it's perfection in my opinion Right. Uh, number two was The Ring, which is the first track on the album. And I think a critic may have switched those. A critic may say, you know, The Ring is obviously the number one. But I think it's the number two. I, I, I think it's a it's a great track. It's really hammering the Coltrane McCoy Tyner sound. It's really hammering spiritual playing. I think these two, Kenny Garrett and Ferris Sanders, Sanders work, work really well together and the group is is all on the same page all of the time and that's not necessarily easy to do especially on a tune like the ring so it was undeniably great I just appreciate some of the things in intro to Africa just a smidge more yeah I'm, I'm on the same page there I think that the ring definitely compositionally it's a fantastic tune and it's definitely might be compositionally a little bit more interesting than what's going on in intro to Africa but I think in my opinion just the the the, the context everything going on in the intro in Africa I think it's undeniably number one and the ring is just a very close second in my opinion right uh and number three we got Wayne's thing mm -hmm. which uh was the the funky groove uh, one on the album that I think alluded to uh, the great Wayne Shorter, and there's some great moments in that, so that felt so good. It had to be number three. The not-so-hot sketches of M.D., Maggie Disseldorf. No, I'm messing. Miles <laughs> Davis. <laughs> sketches of Miles Davis, which is the title track of the album. The album is called Sketches of M.D. Live at the Iridium, and to me, it just misses the mark. It's cool in its uh in its uh, you know emphasis on on sonic approaches the different sound elements we're getting are vast on that track and it does scream you know sort of miles davis fusion not only in its approach and in, in sound but in the the timbre of the instruments we're getting it's very uh synth synth friendly i would say so so it's it's really cool in that it's achieving i think what it it uh wants to achieve However, it just doesn't necessarily do it for me musically all in all. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's not a bad track. It almost feels kind of more like an interlude. It's it's really interesting to listen to because of the sonic approach. But yeah, it just doesn't, I don't feel like this title represents the album very well. I don't think that the whole album is like a sketches of Miles Davis. There's kind of just five different 
things going on in this album, it's, then that, that's cool. I appreciate it. But it feels like it's drawing from like many different places, not just Miles Davis. It's drawing from Coltrane. It's drawing from some more gospel, happy people. That kind of thing's more gospel feeling. It doesn't feel like this is a sketches of Miles Davis album. So to make that the title track, when this track isn't even the strongest track on the album you could call it the ring you know i mean the album like i just don't i don't know i don't know um i'm, I'm that's a scratching yeah. my head a little bit at this one that's a great point it 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 doesn't describe every track on the album you know it doesn't describe the overall approach or concept to the record the concept isn't you know we're gonna take you know five or six tracks as an ode to my time with miles davis as his saxophone player it's you know, I'm playing original music with a great cast of musicians and exploring everything we can from sonic approach. Uh, you know, what are the different sounds we can get? What are the different ways we can be spiritual? What are the different grooves we can get that feel great? The whole album is not an ode to Miles Davis. So why call it Sketches of MD? Just do the song Sketches of MD. And, and do a different title for the album. I think I think you're hitting the nail on the head with that. Yeah, yeah, it just feels it just it leaves me scratching my head a little bit. So, but let's get into our overall album thoughts, give our ratings and then we'll jump into uh talk about what album we're going to be doing next week. So, for my overall thoughts on the album and my rating, I think that the pairing of Garrett and Sanders is just such a soulful spiritual duo of jazz greatness that they just they just bring so much energy and spirit to this live recording this album is a fun listen and honestly i wish that i had been there at the concert because it seems like it would have just been such a blast to be there in person the entire group gels so well together and the rhythm section is really well-rounded and a pleasure to listen to kenny garrett has not failed to impress us yet on the podcast and this live recording is just more of the same and one thing that's even better than kenny's playing is it just always feels so right to me. You know, his playing's great, but it just feels like he's playing what's right in the moment. Um, it feels like he's playing from so deep down into his heart and soul, and that's something that I, I definitely truly revere from from Kenny Garrett. And then the late, great Pharaoh Sanders is cut from a very similar cloth, and he's just really fun to listen to on this album. Both of these guys are so masterful at some of these extended techniques, the growls, the screams, and just so many different ways that one could make music out of a saxophone. Pharaoh has continued to be missed, and but we're, we're super glad to be able to further his legacy through his playing and the soulful spirit on, on this podcast. Um, and the rhythm section, it's just kind of an underrated aspect of the recording because they aren't individually featured a whole lot, which is, I wish, I kind of wish they were, um, at times I wish I got a drum solo, a little bit more from the keys, maybe a bass solo, but they're all really killing and they're really locked in together, super tight. So the rhythm section is definitely underrated, but it's kind of easy to miss when they're not super featured. Um, and they're all just, it's very obvious that they're well-listened and very versatile in their, in their playing from um, the different kind of tracks on the album. I think uh, we kind of touched on this, but Sketches of MD misses the mark as the title track, but it's still interesting. It just feels more like an interlude sort of piece than the main attraction to the album. And overall, I think this album is just really enjoyable. I, it's fun to listen to. I'll definitely be continuing to jam to it in the car from time to time. And I think that this is more than worth a listen. And for that reason, I gave it an 8.1 out of 10. I would uh, concur with a lot of points. I think the greatness of Kenny Garrett is seemingly undeniable. 
His soloistic prowess is matched nicely by this group, in particular the added pairing of the spiritual and ever-present Pharaoh Sanders, as well as a spot-on rhythm section with Nat Reeves, Benito Gonzalez, and Jamire Williams. A variety of sonic expressions are present with the use of synths, different keyboard tones, and the innumerable sound characteristics that define sorry, that define Kenny Garrett's and Pharaoh Sanders' abilities to manipulate tone, sound, and texture. It may be argued that there are one too many saxophone squeals for the average listener, yet they are executed well and definitely are used in appropriate musical ways. There is also an emphasis on groove, as witnessed on Intro to Africa, Wayne's Thing, and Happy People. The pocket Tempo and overall feel on Intro to Africa is a nice surprise and one of the most musically satisfying selections on the album. All three rhythm section members treat each tune exceptionally well as a range of styles and approaches are included here, from the Coltrane-esque opener, The Ring, to the funky Wayne's thing. Sketches of MD, the song itself, is certainly an ode to Miles Davis and effectively explores varying sonic realities yet seems more like an accompaniment to a movie scene rather than a possible stellar title track to a live album. Another slight disappointment was found in the lack of improvisatory exploration on Happy People. This is a fun track, no doubt, that feels great, yet it left me desiring more, even though it's the second longest track on the record. Also, a drum or bass feature would have been a nice addition somewhere on this album. I do, however, appreciate the elements of fun and musical exploration that are present on most of the album. Also, Kenny Garrett's personality is well on display when talking and interacting with the crowd on the microphone. Altogether, this is an interesting record and recording from Kenny Garrett that delivers groove and excellent expressive playing. While it certainly won't be in the running for one of the best jazz albums ever, it's definitely worth your attention. Strap in. This one is a fun ride. Overall score is 7.9 out of 10. Yeah, um, I think you make some really great points there. I think we have a lot of similar thoughts on this album, but one thing we agree on that it's just really fun to listen to. And so I definitely we'd both suggest taking a listen to it. Um, and so our combined jazz jam score on this one is going to be an 8.0 out of 10 on this album. Max, why don't you tell us uh, what we've got coming up next week? I, we're going to be getting into a classic album and man, Max, Max was swinging for the, the fences with this one. He picked just an all time album. Max, what are we getting into next week? Yeah, we're getting into one of the, I don't know, sort of essential hard bop recordings of 1964 this is the sidewinder from the great lee morgan mm. also features joe hen on tenor joe henderson the great barry harris on piano we got bob crenshaw on bass billy higgins on drums it's an all-star cast it was one of the crossover successful jazz albums of the mid-60s that was not only uh, successful in the in the jazz circuit, but it also made the pop charts, and so I think it is still one of Blue Note's most most um, highest selling records. It might be their it might be their highest selling record ever. I'm not entirely sure on that, but the Sidewinder it's it's a great recording, a great crossover selection to talk about, and we haven't really gotten into Lee Morgan yet, so it's it's going to be fun getting into him. And, and his sound and his approach and and what he did with the sidewinder 
because there's a lot to talk about with that. Yeah, Max said we haven't talked about Lee Morgan yet, so we're just going to dive just head first into the deep end of Lee Morgan. Like we're not going to ease you <laughs> in. We're going to go into like the the album by Lee Morgan and there's other great albums, but I'm super excited. I actually I listened to this album a lot, but I haven't listened to it in a while. So I'm super excited to go back and and listen to it and kind of listen to it in a more analytical way because like I've listened to it so many times, but it's it's been a while. So I'm excited to to you know redive all the way into it. It's also been a minute since I've checked it out myself. I mean, I've listened to it, of course, and and the Sidewinder is a cool sort of uh, funky blues tune. Um, but yeah, I you know it'll be great to really get in a deep dive into it to talk about Joe Henderson a little bit. Barry Harris is great too. So uh, you know, what we are in for a treat of of exploring everything there is to the Sidewinder. Yeah, so definitely. Join us next week when we do that. Um, before we go, I do want to say just make sure you're checking out our Instagram, uh, the Jazz Jam Podcast on Instagram. Feel free to send us an email, the Jazz Jam Podcast at Gmail. Our website is, I, I mean, it's come so far. I think it's just such a wealth of knowledge of just places to check out a resource if you're like looking for new albums. If you haven't listened to every podcast or you don't have time, you can kind of just get our ideas, our overall thoughts there. You can see what different artists we've reviewed, the albums. One of my favorite things about the podcast is our power rankings list where you can kind of see how everything ranks against each other. I think that's one of my favorite things about the website. So definitely just go check it out. See see what we've got going on there. Um, it's a fun tool and resource. And if you want to, send us a recommendation, an album request. We'll, we definitely want those. We'll be more than willing to check out some of the music that y'all recommend and just reach out to us with any questions you have about anything. We'd love to, to hear from you. So without further ado, this has been an episode of the Jazz Jam Podcast and we'll catch you next week with the Sidewinder from Lee Morgan. Lee Morgan.